This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Taryn Winterbrill, host of Bestseller TV on C-Suite Radio. On this show, I sit down with leading business authors to find out what makes their books stand out from the crowd. With thousands of new business books and titles being published each year, we try to make it just a little bit easier for you to decide which ones are worth the read. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bestseller TV. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. We're here with Shelley Archambault. She is the author of Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms. Shelley, it's so great to have you with us. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, Taryn. Thank you so much. So first off, tell us about this, this very powerful title. Um, it really strikes you because before I, I opened the cover, I thought to myself, have you had to apologize up to this point, so to speak, for your ambition throughout your life? You know, the answer is yes. When I was little, little kid, you know, then being ambitious was actually okay. But then I found when I got into business, people would say, oh, you're ambitious. And it was not meant as a compliment, right? Huh. And yeah. That's, and that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So it when it came time to, you know, write this book and come up with a title, I knew I wanted the word ambition in it someplace. Cause I'm like, that's, this is what it's really all about. And the whole unapologetic piece well, that got inspired because I was having a conversation with my friends talking about the importance of, or how often, if you will, women apologize. And I'm like, you know what? That's it. Unapologetically ambitious. Everyone deserves the right to be ambitious and nobody should have to apologize for it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're so successful. I, I love the book because we really get such a, a personal you know, portal into you know, your, your ambition and your success through life. But that said, I just want to bring up what, what you just referred to. Were you one of those women that actually apologized? Was that something you, you had to learn how not to do? So oh, to absolutely. I remember when I first got married, um, you know, my husband would step on my foot and I would apologize because obviously my foot was in his way, right? <laughs> I mean, yes, I was definitely one of those over-apologizers. And I literally had to work on it not to apologize all the time because in business, honestly, it makes us look weak. But women apologize, not because we actually did something wrong. I mean, we do that probably 5% of the time, but the other 95% is we use it like salt. It just makes everything better, right? It uh, smooths feathers. It makes let people know we care about them and that we empathize. And, you know, we use it just to ease tensions. And we got to stop doing that. But that said, why do you think men don't do that? I mean, don't they want to do all the things you just mentioned as well? I don't think so. I asked my husband, I said, I told him, I said, you never apologize. He said, what are you talking about? I apologize. And I said, no, you don't. He said, Shelly, if I've done something wrong, that's completely my fault. I apologize. Did you hear that definition? Completely my fault. Wow. Talk about a different definition for when an apology is needed. So Shelly, all that said, is that the reason why you wanted to put this in writing for our benefit to sort of discuss all these times where you feel you had to apologize and the barriers you broke through? Mm, it's interesting. It wasn't so much all my apologizing that made me want to write the book. What made me want to write the book is I knew the odds weren't in my favor and I spent my entire career being intentional and trying to improve my odds to get what I wanted. 
And I want to be able to share with others how they can do the same thing. The whole unapologetically piece, really it just came through as a title kind of as the bonus piece because I talk about that too. But the core message on the book is how to get what you want out of life, professionally and personally by being intentional. And I share strategies, approaches, tactics, even some hacks, right, for how to do that because it's hard and people make it look so easy. And I wanted people to know, no, it's hard. And just because it's hard, don't stop. I want to talk about then how you did it, right? That That's the benefit of the book. I mean, because who taught you, you just said you want to teach others how to do it. So who taught you how to do it? Well, I learned from so many people along the way. I, you know, there wasn't one that said, okay, here's the path. It was literally just paying attention and watching people that were successful. It's like, okay, what did they do? How did they do that? What was their path? What jobs did they have? And then taking that research and knowledge and building it into my own plan. It was listening. You know, I'm a really good listener. There's actually a lot of advice that comes down if you actually listen for it. And then, you know, lastly, it's seeking out help. Nobody does this all by themselves. And I talk about how do you go get help? How to actually get mentors? How to all of those things that we all need as we're working through it. So I'm curious your take on ambition. Is it something that you can learn? I mean, clearly you've got it. it it's a part of your DNA, which is incredible. Um, and I think I think it is a, a, a big part of a lot of people's DNA, but if it's not, can can, can it be taught? Can, can you learn it? Can you listen to others to, to, I guess, maybe absorb ambition? How would you put it into words? Hmm. The way I'd identify or define, if you will, ambition is not so much the outcome. You know, people think, oh, ambition. So that means you must be want to be CEO or run a company or be a vice president or whatever it might be. No, to me, ambition is all about, do you want to make an impact on something? <laughs> and are you striving forward with intent to make an impact? My mother, who didn't work outside the home, is one of the most ambitious people I know. She impacted church and school and community. I mean, she was always out there making things happen. So ambition can show up in a lot of different ways. And can it be learned? The answer is, I think most of us are, actually have some ambition. We have ways in which we want to make impact. I think for some of us, it gets, what should I say, discouraged and therefore suppressed. Um, but I want all people to be able to exercise their ambition and not have it suppressed and not have it contained and not, I mean, you would never raise a child to say, work hard, do well, but don't yeah. be too ambitious. We would never do that. <laughs> now, in terms of the ambition, I love your, I love the definition because you say it's not necessarily about success, it's about making an impact. So in terms of your ambition, you write that, I think it was your guidance counselor in junior high school, you decided you wanted to be a CEO. Right, so in high for, school, that's right. Yes, in high school rather. Did So for you at that age, was ambition about making an impact or as a CEO? I mean, which Was it to be a successful CEO or just make an impact mm. as a CEO? Yeah, fair question. You know, in high school and even at that stage, I was all about just setting goals. I would I'd pick goals and then I'd go after goals because so many things along the way, and I write about it in the book, just kept telling me that nobody expected much from me, right? That they didn't think much of me. And so- setting goals and achieving them was my way of kind of proving I am capable. I can do things. I can make an impact. Yeah. So when my guidance counselor told me that running a business is just like running a club or organization, which I love doing, you know, French club, American field service, whatever. I said, great, I'll go do that. I had no, honestly, did I know exactly what that meant? I did not, but it was a goal and it mapped to things that I liked. And I said, great, I am going to go after that. And what I learned along the way is I really love building leaders. I love developing people. 
I love helping people achieve and do more than they think they can even do. So it actually fit in very well with what I like to do. Yeah. Just curious. That said, did you have a backup plan? I mean, let's say the CEO thing didn't pan out, right? Not for a lack of ambition or lack of trying, but some things just don't fall into place. What was the plan B? Nope. Nope. I had, nope. I had no plan B. My, my goal was to become a CEO and I was going to figure out how to make it happen one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, you certainly did. Tell, tell everybody a little bit of, about your background uh, for anyone who's not familiar. Uh, sure. So yes, in high school at 16, I decided, okay, CEO is now my goal. So I was intentional all the way through. I picked the top business school. It was the only school I, I applied to. I said, please you, take me. University of Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, Wharton, okay. exactly. Went to I'm, a fellow, I'm a fellow alumni with you. So oh, go Lakers. Very yeah. good. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And so, and then came out of there and said, all right, technology is a growing industry. There's more opportunities in growing industries. Best industry, best company at the time was IBM. It's kind of like the Apple, Google of today. And I said, great, I'm going to join IBM and I'll be CEO of IBM. <laughs> and I spent 14 years striving to become CEO of IBM. I actually did very well. I got to the point where there wasn't anyone higher than me that looked like me in the company. And my boss reported to Lou Gerstner, the CEO. I was running multi-billion dollar divisions. I mean, I'd done well, but it wasn't clear that it was going to happen there. And so long story short, loved IBM, but the goal was more important. And so left IBM, worked my way to Silicon Valley, where after a couple of uh, executive roles um, in the C-suite. I got my CEO role and built a company called MetricStream, which became a leader in governance, risk, and compliance, and still is. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. C-Suite Radio. And that kind of le uh, leads into the foreword of the book, which was really great, which talks about, I mean, in a nutshell, kind of everything you're about. It talks about this company that came to you that was not doing well. And, and someone says to you, the person who wrote the foreword says, that's not a good, good idea that this company is tanking. And, and, and what did you say? You, you were, tell, us, tell us what your position was. Absolutely. So Ben Horowitz, who was the CEO of at LoudCloud, so he was my boss at one point, right? And I told him, here's the role that I'm going to take. And he was trying to tell me, no, it's not a good job to take, Shelly. Don't take that job. But I took it anyway. I knew it was a challenge. I knew it was going to be a problem. But I honestly believed that it was the right risk-reward trade-off and that if I could do this, then I could prove that I could literally build something, right, of magnitude and significance. And I need a challenge, but I've faced challenges my whole life. So I took the job against his advice. And not only did we turn it around, but we built it into a, a global leader. So it, it worked, but it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. 
you know, you talk about planning in the book, um, how planning is so important. And you mentioned mentors as well. And I, I like how you say that it's not just enough to be ambitious. Ambition alone won't, won't get you where you need to be. You talk about the importance of mentors. So tell us a little bit about that and maybe uh, you know, one, one of your mentors who really had a huge impact on you. It sounds like your, your guidance counselor is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I was fortunate to have mentors all along the way. And you're right, people tell, you tell young people, they come out of school, you know, work hard, be ambitious, it'll all work out. And it won't, that's not how it works. Yeah. Uh, you have to be strategic about what it is that you're doing. And I've learned a lot from mentors. So, you know, the biggest thing I learned about mentors is it that they're not, don't have to be a formal role. People can be your mentors without having this official, you're my mentor, I'm the mentee, et cetera. Mentors are people out there that can basically provide you advice, counsel, and perspective that you can then use to make your decisions and to take risks and to build your plan. So, you know, I learned early that you can have multiple mentors. And so I always have, I've always reached out for help. Nobody achieves everything that people achieve. Don't think that anybody's done it by themselves. Nobody has. We all have help. It is not weakness to take help. It is actually a strength. Shelly, there's so much, so much richness in the book. Is there one piece though of advice that you'd like to impart to our, our viewers and to readers? There really is. And that is own your career. You are the only one that can optimize for you. I mean, the analogy I like to use, Taryn, is you would never spend two, $3,000 for an airline ticket, right? Pack your bags, get, put your dog in a dog sitter, get all ready, right? Head to the airport, get on the plane, strap in your seatbelt, and then look at the pilot and say, so where are we going anyway? Right. All right, you never do that. But we do that with our career all the time. We spend tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in education, certificates, right? Conferences, all these things. And then we join a company and we wait for them to tell us what they want us to do. What's next? What's that? We wait. No, be proactive, be intentional, own your career so that you can actually achieve what you want to achieve in your life. You, you hate this idea of the work-life balance. Why so? Uh, it's just the term. I mean, think about it. Uh, what's a balance? It's a fixed structure that's static, right? Even on both sides at all times. Life doesn't work that way. Life is like this. Yeah. Right. And so to be measured against something that is static and fixed is ridiculous. I think the term was created to make us all feel perpetually guilty because you can't possibly live up to that. Yeah. So, no, I believe we ought to think about work and life integrated. I'm one person. I have one life. My work priorities, my personal priorities, I put them together and reprioritize ruthlessly so That's that I right. get done what I need to get done and what I can't get done doesn't or I find somebody else to do it because every time you say yes to something you are saying no to something else and you want to make sure you don't get yourself in a position where you have to say no to something that you actually want to do and need to do right right I, it's fascinating on on so many levels I'm curious someone with your level of success Shelly and all all that you've accomplished is there anything however, that you would have done differently because you've done pretty well. So maybe there's nothing you would have changed, but you faced a lot of obstacles, so many challenges. Um, is, there, is there a time you can look back and say, oh, you know, I went right, I should have gone left, something in that vein? Uh, you know, I'll be candid. I've had lots of challenges, lots of obstacles, definitely some tragedies, but I'm also a believer that, you know, one action, one step actually begets the next. So if you make a change, it puts you on a different trajectory completely. 
And overall, I'm happy where I've ended up. So yes, could I have made a change and maybe things have worked out even better? Of course, could they have worked out worse? The answer is yes. I'm yeah. happy where I am. That said, the one thing that I would do differently that isn't a choice or a job, I tell people all the time, take your vacation. You know, take your vacation. Yeah. You, you think that you can't, when you're younger, you can't take vacation because then you're not serious and you poured up all this vacation. Take your vacation. <laughs> Uh, so much to get to. Um, two final questions for you. You spend a lot, of, a lot of time in the beginning of the book. You call it managing imposter syndrome, which I thought was so powerful. How you explained it. Can you just give us a little, a little taste of, of what it is and why, why it's so important to be aware of? Absolutely. So imposter syndrome is that nagging little inner voice that when you're getting ready to do something new, different, new opportunity, new job, even just step in front of a group where all of a sudden it's telling you, you know what? They don't know that you're not as good as they think you are, right? right. You're not quite capable. What, are they, what do you think is going to happen when you actually show up? How do you know that you can be smart and you can be, I mean, all the, it's this little nagging thing that comes in that basically is trying to tear away at your confidence and yeah. make you feel that maybe you shouldn't do it. And so therefore you hold back and you don't. It could be as simple as in a meeting when you think you ought to say something, but no, I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to maybe all this stuff that tells you that's imposter syndrome. Right. And studies show that everybody, just about everybody experiences it at some point or another, but women experience it a lot more than, than men and women of color the most. Right. And so I, yes, I spend time talking about it because I still deal with it, which is ridiculous. Um, and you still do, even, even at your level of success, you still do, huh? Listen, when I walked into my first Verizon board meeting, I mean, I'd already been a CEO for decades. I'd served on public boards for years, the whole bit. And just as I'm getting ready to walk in, I feel that little like, okay, yeah. Shelly, there's a CEO of Walgreens, CEO of this, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, oh my God, right? Now, now I know what it is. So when it happens, I literally, it's like, you want to slap yourself. It's like, get over it, right? And you go yeah. through. But for those of you that haven't gotten to that point, you know, the bet, I talk about a bunch of different ways to handle it, but you know, the big thing is worst case, fake it, act like you're confident, act like you know what you're doing. Cause eventually you will, you yeah. always do. Lastly, we're out of time. There's so much uh, more I wanted to dive into, but I mentioned you talk so much about planning that said, are you still planning? What is your plan moving forward? What's uh, that for you? So yes, I'm definitely still planning. So number one, yes, it's getting the book launched because now that I did all this, I want people to read it. The whole reason I wrote it was to share. So I want people to read the book. So the first plan is to hopefully have a successful launch, right? As we're driving this and have people read it. Um, but the second is I have passion projects, passion projects around um, diversity on boards, passion projects around racial justice, and then also just about mentoring and supporting others, figuring out other ways to do it at scale that actually brings more help and support because ultimately I want more people to be able to achieve their aspirations and actually be able to contribute to their full capability. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out ways to do that. So yeah. that's what I'm working on. The book is uh, just, just beyond, I mean, terrific. It's, it's so great. It's, it's so user-friendly in terms of the roadmap and, and how you organize it um, and, and so many valuable lessons. So uh, congratulations. And uh, we, we, can't, we can't wait to, to hear and see and read about what's next. So thank you so much, Shelly. Thank you very much, Taryn. I really appreciate it. If you'd like more information on the book, just check out our website. It's csweetbookclub.com. That's c-sweetbookclub.com. I'm Taryn Winterbrill. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time right here on Bestseller TV via Zoom. Like what you just heard, visit c-sweetradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.